Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you've been around Lake Forest for, well, for more than a minute, you might know this, but we, we love and value the arts as a church and believe there's something that God has for us in beauty and creativity. And uh, uh, that's just a little taste of something we do periodically around here called a house of blues, where we bring in artists to share their story and a little bit of their music with us, believing that God has something for us in that. I hope that uh, blessed you this morning. I know it just made me feel like I wish I could write a song like that for my wife, Uh, but uh, I'm not going to try that one. I'll stick to preaching for now. I hope y'all are doing well. Um, Well, it's an honor to get to share with you this morning. We are continuing in the superlatives, and today uh, I want to start Uh, I want to share with you a story about a guy that probably would have earned in high school uh, most likely to not fail, and yet what we're going to see is that his story is deeply, deeply, deeply marked by failure. Uh, And, you know, I hope that uh, this message will be an encouragement to any of you facing that kind of situation in your life right now. Uh, You know, one of the things I I love about social media, probably one of my favorite things about social media are the memes, and of all the memes that are out, is that, am I saying that right, memes, or you say memes? Me, that's grandma. So memes, right, memes. Uh, one of my favorite memes of all are the f- uh, failure memes, right? The, uh, and of all those, the you had only one job memes. Have you seen these? You only had one, one job? Uh, so that typically, they look like this, right? This is kind of the typical, you had one job type meme, right? And it's the road, and you, can you imagine the poor 16 year old trying taking their driver's test to get their license and they come don't cross the double yellow lines oh that'd be a little crazy but the, there's another version of this one which is the stop sign category we've, we've seen that one right stop sign think about that one for a minute you kind of have to right then there's the whole category i just call the signs the they had one job sign category like this one do i enter or not right a little, a little confusing on that one or, or this poor lad who has no idea what an all-day breakfast is. I, I just love this. Uh, I don't know why that tickles my fancy so much. Uh, but, uh, you know, then, then there is a whole other category. These are just kind of the absurd, you only had one job ones. Uh, like, like this one. I don't know who thought, uh, back to school, we need a set of steak knives. Back to school steak knives at Walmart. Get yours now, right? Uh, or this, this one, which is, uh, I, I just, I mean... It's the golden arches. Like, how hard can it One arch? They left one off? I don't know. But of all the you-only-had-one-job memes that, that I've seen in my life, and I've seen a lot of these, my favorite one, the one that takes the cake, absolutely, is, is the dude at Walmart who didn't know what these things are called. <laughs> that guy had only one job, and he lost it. He didn't have it the next day, did he, right? Well, it's fun to laugh about failure, uh, especially when it's not our own, right? Because uh, the truth is, we, we all fail at some point in our lives. And laughing just kind of reminds us that, that we're not alone. We're not alone. We all make blunders. We all make mistakes. Uh, but the truth is that we have all done stuff. We've all said stuff. We've all made decisions that we deeply, deeply regret. And some of those decisions have caused uh, pain in our lives or in the lives of loved ones, uh, things that we can only describe as, as utter failure. 
And, and if we could do it, if we could go back, if we could have a second chance to do that differently, oh man, in a heartbeat, we would go back and ask for a redo. We've all been touched by failure. And for some of us, the, those failures are, are, are simply things we've said, right? Words we wish we could take back, and they kind of wreak some havoc. Or, or maybe some decisions we made. I think about my 20s, like the entire decade of my 20s was a set of decisions I wish I could go back and remake. Some of us have done relational damage, not keeping confidences or even betraying a friend or a spouse. And we've all failed in one way or another. And the interesting thing about failure is failure has this kind of weird thing about it. Of all the experiences in life, failure, perhaps more than anything else, is kind of sticky, right? Do you know what I mean by this? Like, like when I fail, it, it, I can't just let it go. When, when I make a mistake, I can't just put it out of my mind. It just kind of sticks with me. And eventually the, the, they build up and, and all those failures, all those regrets, all those mistakes become kind of like this heavy burden that I'm carrying with me through life. Kind of reminds me of uh, this description that David gives us in the Psalms. Listen, listen to if, if this sounds like your experience with failure. He says this. My guilt has overcome me like a burden too heavy to bear. Ever felt like your failure is a burden too heavy to bear? Well, if you're here this morning, you're someone who says, yeah, Aaron, I know that feeling. That, that is me. Here, here's what I hope you will hear today, because I hope this will be an encouraging message for you this morning. Here's, here's kind of the bottom line up front. Uh, simply this, that every saint, every saint, that is, Every person God ever uses to bring about any good in this world, every saint has a past, and every sinner, every person who's ever failed, you and me, every sinner has a future. Because, because we serve and worship a God of second chances. And so if that's you today, uh, I, I hope you'll hear some hope in the message, and and I'll invite you just to lean in and see what God might have for you in this. Now, how do I get past my past? That's kind of what we're talking about here. And the character, you've kind of been wondering, who's this guy? Who who, who would be most likely not to fail? The character that I want to talk about, who has an epic failure in his life, by the way, is a guy in the Old Testament named Moses. How many of y'all heard of Moses before? Just kind of, all right, uh, okay. How many of y'all know how to lift your hand? all right, okay, we're awake. Here we go, here we go. Uh, Moses is one of the big guys in the Old Testament, right? And in fact, Moses, this is the same Moses that one, way, one day would say, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know that story. Moses is going to have an epic failure in his life. I want to give you a quick little background before we get to the story. So Moses, the people that Moses is born into are the Hebrews, and they're living in Egypt enslaved to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And uh, Moses, actually, the king actually comes out with a decree and says, hey, listen, uh, any Hebrew baby boys that are born, we need to take them out. Uh, and so Moses's mom and sister come up with this secret plan. They, they make this little basket. They put Moses in it. They put it in the water. I mean, this story is nuts. You should read it sometime. And Pharaoh's daughter finds baby Moses, and she takes him in to the castle, as it were, to be raised as a member of Pharaoh's family. It is a crazy story. It's Exodus chapter 1. You should check it out sometime. But our story picks up in chapter 2 when Moses is now fully grown. He's an adult. He's going to leave Pharaoh's castle. I don't know if it's a castle. What do they have in Egypt anyway? 
pyramids. No, that's for dead people. Castles. We'll stick with castles for now. He's going to leave Pharaoh's home, and he's going to enter the real world. He's going to take on his first job, and it's his first day on the job. Chapter 2, verse 1, picks up right here. One day, after Moses had grown up, okay, that was chapter 1, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. They're out there, they're slaves, they're working hard. He saw an Egyptian, that's one of the bosses, right? The Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Interesting. Now, Moses, he's, he's on his first day, right? And we know this. We know that Moses is called to be a leader of God's people. That's the calling on his life. He's on the job, first day at work. His, he sees his co-worker beating one of these Hebrews. And what does he decide to do? He kills him. He, what would happen if you killed your co-worker? I know you dream about it sometimes. But imagine if you actually did that, right? I mean, this is a total, utter fail. So what does he do? Well, it's Egypt. There's some sand. So he goes and digs a hole and he throws the body and he covers up. The, okay, maybe nobody saw this, right? He shows up to work the next day. It's all good. Nobody knows what this kind of this thing nagging him. Like, he you know, but oh, I'm okay. Nobody else saw this. Maybe we can just keep going on. But it haunts him. And he shows up the next day and look what happens. The next day, Moses went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. These are his own people. He asks the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? That sounds kind of like me with my boys. Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And in that, mo- in that moment, Moses was like, oh, smack. I'm busted, right? And he says it right here. What I did must have become known. You know, funny thing about failure. There, there's kind of failure that, that we have in our life that we, we can kind of live with it, you know? So, so long as nobody else knows what's going on, right? So long as we can keep it underground, literally. We can keep it buried. No but then eventually, eventually, eventually that failure comes into the light. And oh man, what happens then? Well, this is exactly what happens to Moses. And what we see in Moses' life is a pattern that we see happen in our own life when the failure that we thought was hidden suddenly comes into the light. And when failure gets exposed, it always, always, always leads to shame. And shame will always, always, always cause us to run and to hide, which is exactly what Moses does. In the very next verse, we're told, Moses hightails it for a place called Midian. Now, how many of y'all know where Midian is? Okay, that's right. So look at a map. I knew none of y'all were. Look at, uh, here we go. Midian is way out in the east. It's actually 280 miles from where Pharaoh was, where Moses was living, right? So imagine this, 280 miles. That is as far as it is from here to Atlanta, right? Imagine a mistake so bad, so grave, that you decide, in order to run from this, in order to hide from this, I've got to go down to I-85, and I've got to hitchhike my way all the way to Atlanta. Well, that's exactly what Moses does. It's entirely on the other side of the wilderness. So what's Moses doing? Well, his failure has been exposed. It's led to shame, and he's running, 
and he's hiding because failure, when it becomes known, will always cause us to run and to hide. I remember an experience of running and hiding from failure in my own life. In fact, it was actually, well, I have lots of them, but I, I, only one I'll tell you this morning. Uh, it was from the first time I was asked to speak at church. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I was a part of a church plant in Pasadena, California. And I was not on staff, but I was part of the leadership team. And one day the pastor asked me if I would speak next Sunday at church. Now, I had never spoken in my entire life. And I was terrified. I mean, some of y'all, if I made you get up on here, like, it's actually the only greater fear than death is public speaking. Y'all know this one, right? Yeah, okay, true, true, right? So I'm terrified. In fact, I'm so terrified, I can't eat for 48 hours leading up until the moment I speak. And sorry if this is TMI, you can plug yours. But I got to church that night to sound check, and I got so nervous, I, I actually got sick to my stomach and had to run to the bathroom. And, you know, I threw up. I was so nervous. So then I finally get up on, on the stage for church, and, and I was supposed to be preaching for just 20 minutes. Okay, 20 minutes, that's all they figured I could handle. So I start talking, and 40 minutes later, I'm halfway through my message, right? And true story, I'm mid-sentence when the pastor gets up on the stage, he puts his arm around me and says, Aaron, how about we close in prayer now? (laughs) I was devastated. I had failed royally, and I was so ashamed. You know what I did? I ran and I hid in the bathroom at church until everybody had gone home. It so marked me. It so shamed me. In fact, it's so powerful that even today, when I speak, I still feel a little anxious. I don't throw up anymore. Now I just throw up in my mouth a little bit and swallow it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't don't do that. That was just to see if y'all were still awake. But the truth is, the truth is, as we closed in that final song that night, I felt, I felt like such a failure that the only thing I could do, the only thing I could do was run and hide. And I think that's exactly what's happening to Moses here. Moses has failed. Not only has he failed, he failed at the most important thing that God had called him to in his life. And everyone knows it. And his shame has driven him to get as far away from his failure as he possibly can. So he ends up in Midian and, and uh, you know, he actually ends up running. And if you know the story, he ends up running from God for the next 40 years. 40 years of his life, he will spend in hiding and running from this one moment of failure. But here's what's so remarkable to me. Here, here's what's remarkable about Moses' story. Even though he had blown it, right? Even though he had blown it, even though he had failed royally, even though he had given up on himself, God never gave up on Moses. Even though Moses had given up on Moses, God never gave up on Moses because he is a God of second chances. And so just as God did when Adam and Eve failed and they went hiding in the garden, and just as Jesus did when Peter had failed and he went hiding out on the fishing boat, God comes looking for Moses just as he comes looking for us. And look what happens next in our next passage here. Moses is out tending the flock. See, he'd gone to Midian and he'd gotten the only job you can get in Midian, herding sheep. And one day, God, the God who never gives up, comes looking for Moses And he does it in the strangest of ways. He comes to Moses in a burning bush. 
A bush that is on fire, but never runs out. How many of y'all would like a bush like that for your fireplace in the backyard? Wouldn't that be great? Right? Yeah. Oh man, never chopping again. It's a very strange thing. What's God doing here? What I want to suggest is it's almost as if God has been waiting for Moses to finally be ready to let go of his past and embrace what God has for his future. So what happens? Moses decides, he sees a strange thing, and he turns aside, the Bible tells us, and he begins to move towards it. And it's here when God speaks. Listen to what God says. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, when the Lord saw that Moses was ready, for this conversation, right? God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this story, the first time I, I, I thought Moses, Moses, like I thought, oh man, that dude is in trouble, right? Because all I could think about when, was when as a child, my mom would call me by my full birth name, Aaron, James, Gibson, right? That meant I was busted, right? I thought, oh man, Moses must be busted here. But it's actually the opposite. In fact, in ancient Semitic languages like Hebrew, to say a person's name twice was not because they were in trouble. It was actually a term of endearment. Moses, Moses. We see this happen when Jesus calls to his friend, Martha. You know this story? Martha, Martha. You're worried about so many things. Or when he talks to his friend, Peter, Simon Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Oh, but Simon, I have prayed for you. To speak a name twice was a term of compassion, a term of endearment. And what I want to suggest is that that is actually what we should see God doing in this moment with Moses. God has come to Moses in compassion in mercy, and grace. And it's not because Moses deserves it, by the way, right? There's going to be some holiness and Moses is going to have to take off his shoes, all that kind of stuff. Moses does not deserve it. It's also not because Moses has done some kind of penance, but it's simply because this is the kind of God God is. He is a God of loving kindness and compassion. He is a God, we're told in the Old Testament, whose mercies are new every morning. And so, God, it's as if God comes to Moses right in the midst of his failure, right in the midst of his running, and he asks Moses this question, Moses, are you ready? Moses, are you ready to stop running? Are you ready to stop hiding Are you ready to trust that I'm big enough to deal with your failure? Moses, are you ready to move past your past? I just wonder if you've ever heard God whispering that question to you. Aaron, Aaron, are you ready? Well, I just love how Moses responds to this. It's in the very next verse. And it's the most vulnerable, most faith-filled, simple trust we have. Look at his response. Three words. Moses, are you ready? Here I am. 
I'm ready. And with that single act of surrender, Moses' life is changed forever. In fact, a few verses later, God's going to send Moses back to Egypt, the place of his failure. It's a second chance. He's a God of second chances. And Moses is going to rise up and he is going to lead God's people out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and up to the edge of the promised land. Moses, are you ready? And what if? What if God is giving you the same invitation today? Maybe you've been living with that failure. Maybe you've been kind of carrying that burden. Maybe you said, ah, no, I, I'm not ready. Oh, God, God can't forget. God can't, I've blown it too much. What if, what if he who has never given up on you, what if he who is looking for you right now is simply waiting for you to say, Lord, here I am. Well, there are three things I think we learn about responding to failure from Moses. And I want to share these three with you. And then we're going to pray, sing a song, and head on home. Let me share these with you. The first is this. First thing we learn about failure from Moses is that your biggest sin, your biggest mistake is never too big for God's grace. It isn't. Your biggest failure, your biggest regret, your biggest blow up, your biggest I can't believe I did that, whatever it is, your biggest sin is never too big for God's grace. The question is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that, it, that it's not just that his grace is sufficient, but that his grace is sufficient for you? Oftentimes I'll meet with someone and they'll say, Aaron, you know, God couldn't possibly forgive me. You have no idea the things I've done. I say, I don't have to know. His grace is bigger than your biggest mistake. And you see, this is actually the message of the cross. This is the message of Jesus. That it's not just that he forgives the little sins, the white lies, those extra sauces you stole from Chick-fil-A, or that time in third grade when you copied your friend's homework. Of course he forgives those. But the good news of Christianity is that on the cross, Jesus dealt with every sin, every failure, every mistake you and I will ever make. And if we will ask, we can receive his forgiveness, his healing. That is his promise. Look at how one of Jesus' friends, a guy named John, describes this in the Bible. He writes this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from how much unrighteousness? How much unrighteousness? How much unrighteousness? All. All unrighteousness. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's grace is big enough for you. Remember. Every saint has a past, every sinner a future, because he is a God of second chances. Moses. Moses was a murderer. David, an adulterer. Noah, a drunkard. Rahab, a prostitute. Jacob, a betrayer. Pastor Aaron, a... Okay, we'll stop there. It doesn't matter what you've done. Your biggest mistake is never too big for God's grace. That's the first thing we see with Moses. But the second builds on it, and it's this. You, you, my friend, are not who your past says you are but who God says you are. You're not who your past says you are. You're who God says you are. 
For some of us, failure isn't simply something we've done. Failure has become who we are. It's an identity for us. It's funny, I remember uh, in my early years of following Jesus, gosh, probably for the first 10, maybe 12 years, I kind of knew in my head that God had forgiven me, but I was kind of afraid that he might realize that he let me in and kind of regret it. Do you know this feeling? I mean, I I lived as a Christian, but but I lived with this fear that somehow I had to kind of make it up to God. I, I had to prove that he didn't make a bad choice in me. And I remember all of that changing in this season of my life. And Paul describes it this way when he tells us that in Christ, God was reconciling us to himself, not counting our sins against us. And I pondered that phrase. I thought on that phrase. If God doesn't count my sins against me, why am I still counting them against me? You see, I knew God had forgiven me, but I had not learned how to forgive myself. And I was still carrying that shame and that burden that we talked about earlier. You see, as a pastor, I think a lot of people think that forgiveness is something that happens out there, way out there. But when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it describes something that happens in here, deep inside, a kind of healing. And as Henry Nouwen says, oftentimes the only thing preventing us from experiencing that, God's forgiveness, is our inability to forgive ourselves. There's a very real spiritual enemy in our world who would love for us to believe that we are still defined by our past. But the promise of God is that when we surrender our life to Jesus, we are not only forgiven, but we are a new creation, a child of God, a royal priesthood, and our past no longer defines us. We are, as the the songwriter says, washed white as snow. And for someone here today, someone, the reason God brought you this morning is because this is what he wants you to hear. Because you know God has forgiven you, but you have not had the courage to forgive yourself. Which leads to our third and final thing we learn about forgiveness from Moses, and that is this. You cannot change your past, but Christ can change your future. See, the problem with failure in this life is that failure brings with it some consequences, doesn't it? I mean, when I fail, there are some people around me who get wounded by that shrapnel. And there is no way for me to go back and undo that. I I can't go back and fix my past. I can't go back and undo it. And I have to live with those consequences. But God says that I do not have to be defined by that. And Christ, because of the power of Christ, through his death and resurrection, Christ can change and redeem and bring hope for my future. In fact, oftentimes it is my very past that gets redeemed and reworked and repurposed for my future. Which, by the way, is exactly what happens to Moses. Did you know that? Remember, he's out there wandering around for 40 years. What's he doing? Do you remember? He's shepherding sheep, right? He's shepherding sheep in the wilderness. What will Moses one day do for 40 years in the wilderness? He'll shepherd God's people. Interesting. God took Moses' greatest failure, his greatest shame, his greatest hiding, and he rewove it, reworked it, repurposed it into God's goodness in and through Moses' life. And what if, what if, what if he wants to do the same in yours? 
What if? What if God wants to free you from your past and redeem it for your future? Well, as the band prepares to lead us in the final song, I want to give you two questions just to reflect on. I'm going to give you just a few seconds on each of these, and then I'm going to just lead us in a time of prayer. And the first question is this. Do you believe, do you believe, you don't have to, do you believe that God's grace is enough for you? Do you believe it? Some of you think, well, I don't know, Aaron, God can forgive. I don't think God can forgive. What if, what if this is your burning bush moment? What if today you were to say, God, it's scary. I'm not sure I can trust it. But God, I want, I want to believe that your grace is enough for me. Do you believe God's grace is enough for you? The second question is this. Are you ready to let go of the past and embrace the future God has for you? Because others of us, we know, oh, God's forgiven me, God's forgiven me. But we've never had the courage to allow that forgiveness to penetrate our hearts and souls. We've never had the courage to forgive ourselves. And what if today you were just to say, God, I don't know how to do it, but would you give me the strength and courage to forgive me? Every saint has a past, every sinner a future, because we serve a God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. Will you take him up on that chance today? Let's pray together.